Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Remember Daniel was thrown into the den of lions? You know why that happened? Because when there was a decree that went out in all of Babylon to stop praying, he went right up to his upper room. He opened his windows wide. He got down on his knees and he prayed. He prayed publicly so that people could see. It didn't matter to him. Why? Because it was more important that he was in God's presence than that he pleased man. But I wonder if that Flooring in front of that window, if that had been worn out, if you could see a wear mark in the wooden floor at that place. I wonder if his robe or if his clothing was worn in the knees because he was there three times a day, praying three times a day, just like he had always done, pressing in to the things of the Lord. And so he concentrated his, his attention with intention on what God was doing. And it says he sought him. The word sought, it means to desire or to pursue. He went to his quiet place, his private room, to pursue the Lord. Think about that just for a moment. Because you came here this morning and you've been pursuing a lot of things. And those things I'm not saying are bad things or that you should look at those things as as terrible things. But are you pursuing the Lord first? Or are you pursuing your promotion or your education or your wealth? Or that relationship? Or are you pursuing the Lord first? Because the Bible says if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will fall into place. But you have to pursue the Lord first. He goes to his upper room. He seeks the Lord. and, And it says there that he seeks the Lord with sackcloth and ashes and with fasting. What he's communicating to God through that. Is he saying, Lord, I'm not going to allow food to distract me. I'm not going to allow my appearance to distract me. In this prayer, I want to concentrate my attention and my focus on you. And in our prayer lives and in our fasting sequence, I don't know if you have made it a a habit of fasting in your life or not. But a lot of, I believe a lot of Christians utilize the spiritual discipline of fasting as a form of spiritual manipulation. What do I mean by that? This is what I mean. When we fast, this is the heart attitude that we have. We go into our place and we fast and we say, Lord, I'm, I'm denying myself of food or I'm de- denying myself of entertainment. And because of this, Lord, because I'm denying myself, Lord, you need to answer my prayer. That's manipulation. You understand that, don't you? That's not what fasting should look like. What fasting should look like is getting alone with God, concentrating on God, denying your flesh so that you can hear more clearly from his spirit. Fasting is not about you. Fasting is about the Lord. It's not a bartering or bargaining with God in order to convince him to do what you want. It's a time where you come before the Lord and you say, God, I want to hear from you and I want to do what you want me to do. That's where Daniel goes. That's what his attitude is. And he does it with sackcloth and, and with ashes. The sackcloth was a coarse garment. It wasn't comfortable. He wasn't walking around in silk pajamas. He was afflicting his body, wearing coarse and itching garments. And and the ashes or dust they would put on their heads, it was a sign of mourning and it was a sign of confession. Now, I can't say this for certain, 
I want to share with you a teaching that really comes out of the Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah is not an, an inspired work of God. It's Hebrew oral tradition, okay? But listen to this very carefully because there is a special day on the Hebrew calendar known as the ninth of Av. It's the ninth day in the month of Av. This year, it falls on August 6th and 7th for us. The ninth of Av was a day of mourning and fasting for the Jewish people. This is a day that they circled on their calendar where many terrible things happened in their lives. Now, think about this just for a moment because Daniel here, he sees the Babylonians have just been defeated. On the ninth of Av was the day that their Jewish temple was destroyed by Babylon. That happened on the ninth of Av. You know what else happened on the ninth of Av? It's the day the spies came back from spying out the promised land after 40 days and 40 nights. They came back and they said, there's no way we can take this land. We're like grasshoppers in the sight of these giants there. Yes, the land is flowing with milk and honey. Yes, the land has great produce, but we will never be able to defeat those giants. And remember what happened because of that? Those people were judged. And they weren't allowed into the promised land. The Mishnah actually says and teaches this. That for those 38 to 40 years, every 8th of Av, the evening before the 9th of Av, the children of Israel would all dig their own graves. And they would lay down in those graves every year. And in the morning when they awoken, there would be a call that would go out, separate the living from the dead. And every year... Until that judgment had passed, 15,000 people remained in those graves and they buried their own graves. The ninth of Av, listen to this, the ninth of Av was the day that God intended for the people to go take the promised land, but they failed to do so because of unbelief. So the ninth of Av is their failure because of unbelief. The ninth of Av is the day their first temple was destroyed. The ninth of Av is the day the second temple was destroyed in AD 70 by Rome. The ninth of Av was the day that the World War I began. The ninth of Av was the day that World War II began. And many people believe that the ninth of Av will be the day that World War III begins as well. Because of how many catastrophic things happened on the ninth of Av. The day the children of Israel were supposed to go into the promised land. Why do I bring this up? Because I want your hearts to be ready. Because I want you to be prepared. Because if God wanted to take the children on the ninth of Av into the promised land and they failed because of unbelief. If he wants to take you into his presence on the ninth of Av. I want you to be ready and for your heart to be prepared with belief. Amen. So the reason why I bring this up, he's praying with sackcloth and ashes. And maybe, just maybe, he's doing this on the ninth of Av. That day of great mourning. That day of great confession. That day of brokenness. Why? Because he knows that God is doing something and that the hearts of the people have to be ready to receive what God wants to do next. Is your heart ready? Is your heart prepared? So look at this. Read with me this next portion. Verse 4. Now we're going to see, we looked at the intention, now we're going to see some adoration in this prayer. That time, that moment that Daniel sets aside in his, his prayer time to really focus his attention on the character and the covenant of God. How good God is. Look at what it says. I prayed to the Lord, that is God's name, Yahweh, the name of the covenant keeping God. I prayed to the Lord my God and made my confession saying, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, pause there. 
The first time he says Lord, it's God's name, Yahweh. The second time he says the word Lord there, it's Adonai, which is ruler or master or sovereign one. What Daniel is acknowledging in this prayer time is, Lord, you are the ruler. Lord, you are the master. You are sovereign. You reign above it all. And though the nations might rage, though king after king may be risen to the throne, you are still on your throne and you're watching over it all and I'm coming to you for my direction. And it doesn't matter who's in the White House or who's at the Kremlin. It doesn't matter who's, God is reigning over all of this and he's bringing his purposes to pass and he's given you the answers to the test if you will just study them. He says, Lord, you are reign above all of this. You are over all of this. You are great and you are awesome. There are two words right there that are really overused in the English vocabulary. The word great, it means that which is of surpassing value or worth. And I might come to you and I might say, well, how was that movie you saw? And you say, it was great. And what you really mean to say is it was entertaining, right? Was it really of surpassing value or worth? That's a word that we need to kind of reserve for God. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you're going to go out and completely change the way you talk, but we overuse that word. It's lost its sting, hasn't it? Right? When I say, hey, how was the game? Oh, the game was great. No, the game was exciting. God is great. Right? When we say, how was your California burrito at lunchtime today? Oh, that burrito was awesome. No, was it really awesome? Because the word awesome means that which inspires fear or dread or awe. And maybe if some of you have stomach issues, maybe it does inspire some fear there. I don't know. Right? But we shouldn't talk about our burrito the way we talk about our God. He's high. He reigns above it all. And so we use that word great and awesome and we throw it around so flippantly. But those are words that really should be reserved for the Lord. He is great and he is awesome. His value surpasses all. He is of great worth. He inspires fear and awe and dread. Not my burrito, not my burger, right? So he focuses his attention. He gives his attention to God because of his character first. You are great and you are awesome, but then also because of the covenant. He says, you're a God who keeps his covenant. The word covenant is very simple. It just means a promise. It means a pledge. And I want you to think about what Daniel is saying here just for a moment. Because when he prays to the Lord and he says, God, you are a God who keeps your word. What is he doing? He's reminding himself, man, that promise from Jeremiah chapter 29 that you're going to bring me back to my land and you have a plans for me, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give me a future and a hope. Lord, that's what your word says and that's the promise that I will cling to because you're a God who keeps his covenants, who keeps his promises. And this is what the scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Even when you lose faith, he is faithful. Even when you break your word, he confirms his. Do you see this? That's the God we serve. The God who keeps his covenants, his promises. And then did you catch that? Who keeps covenant and steadfast love. This is a word that was so important to the Hebrew listener. The word in Hebrew is hesed. Everyone say hesed. It's not just love. Again, we use the word love so flippantly. Because again, I love my wife and I love my taco. Right? That's not the same. This 
Hesed type of love in the Old Testament, this was a loyal love. This was a faithful love. This was a steadfast love. This was a love that never failed. And so Daniel is saying, God, you are the God of Hesed, loyal, steadfast love. Your love knows no ends. Your love never quits. Your love never ends. It goes on and on and on and never runs dry. That's the way that you love. And so even though God's love was that way, Daniel also says this. He says, you are a God of steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So God's love is unconditional. God's love is steadfast. God's love is loyal. But you know what is conditional? His blessings. God's blessings in your life are conditioned upon you walking in the truth of his word. And if your life is a mess today, if you came here and your marriage is a mess, and you came here and your finances are a mess, right? And you came here and your relationships within your family are an absolute mess. Could it be that those blessings in your life are being withheld because you're not in obedience to God's word? How can you expect your marriage to be blessed if you're caught up in the lust of pornography? How can you expect your finances to be blessed if you're not giving what God has called you to give? How can you expect your career to be blessed if you're not doing all things unto the glory of God? You have to walk in the obedience of commands of God and then the blessings of God are bestowed upon you. I want you to write this down for homework for later. I want you to go and I want you to read Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28. And what happens in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28 is the blessings and the curses are read before the people. And so on one mount, on Mount Ebal, there are half of the tribes of Israel. And on another mount, Mount Gerizim, are another half. And when the blessings of God are read, the people on Mount Gerizim, they agree with those blessings. And when the curses are read, those on Mount Ebal, they agree with the curses. Right? That there is a curse if you do not walk in obedience with the word. Okay? Now, God's love is steadfast. God's love is loyal. But his favor and his blessings are conditioned upon you walking in the truth of the word. Do you understand me? Are we good? Are we good there? Okay, look at this next portion of his prayer. So we have the intention. He presses into God. He shuts everything else out. He, he's coming with a spirit of fasting and with mourning and confession. And he's in God's presence. And first off, he directs his prayers to a God who is great. A God who is awesome. A God who keeps his promises. And then he begins his confession. Look at what happens here. Read it with me. Actually, before we do that, the word confession. I need you to understand this. The word confession means to agree with God on something. Some of you came in here this morning, and you're doing your best to try to hide your sin from God. That is not a spirit of confession. Okay, you're trying to hold on to your sin and trying to hold on to the Lord, and you cannot hold on to both. You have to choose today. Right? And Jesus said this in, in John chapter 3. And this is right after Jesus makes that amazing declaration, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, right? He makes that confession. But then he says this. He says, there are some who love their sin so much, their darkness so much, that they refuse to come out of the light. 
See, that isn't a spirit of confession. You're still trying to hold on to your sin. You're trying to hide your sin. To confess your sin is to bring your sin out into the open, to expose your sin before God and to confess it, to call it what it is. God, this is something that grieves your heart, that breaks your heart, that is contrary to your word in my life, and I want to lay it out open before you. That's a spirit of confession. And so Daniel, this righteous man, who as best he could kept the law, who was in God's word and who was in God's presence through prayer, he begins his confession. When he bears his heart and exposes sin before the Lord, look at what it says here, verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. We have done this thing. See, this man Daniel, who maybe didn't even have a whole lot of sin to confess in his own life, that didn't mean that he didn't have a spirit of confession. Because when he came into the presence of the Lord, he was taking upon himself the sins of his countrymen. Isn't this exactly what Jesus did? The Bible says that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for you and me. He carried our burdens. He carried our sin. Upon his own shoulders. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Daniel says, we have sinned. We've missed your mark. That's what the word sin means. We've missed the mark. We haven't kept your standard. We've disappointed you. We've grieved you. We have done this thing. This is a spirit of empathy. Empathy is a powerful emotion that has the ability to put itself in someone else's shoes and to feel their pain and to feel their hurt and to be grieved by their brokenness, and to be grieved by their sin. And so in a spirit of empathy and confession, Daniel says, Lord, Lord, I might not have much to confess, but we have sinned. Their sin is my sin. I bear that sin as my own. We have grieved your heart collectively. Do you have this heart? Because what really breaks me for the modern church today is how the modern church has come to a point to where we squibble and we fight and we war over little things within the church. And we forget where we've come from. There's no grace for other people, right? Do you have empathy? Can you put yourself in someone else's shoes and feel what they feel? Do you remember where you've come from? Because even today, the church will come into these four walls and we'll come do our business with God and we'll have our holy time with him and then we'll go out and we'll look around at the lost and we'll despise them and we'll say well I'm glad I'm not like this person or I'm glad I'm not involved in that sin or I'm glad I don't speak like that or I'm glad I don't act like that and you forget where you came from there's no empathy in you Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to God's covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That there was a time where you were separated from God, where you had no hope in this world, but everything changed when you came to Christ. Never, 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 Forget that when you walk out of these walls, that the people who are out there living life like the world, that could be you if it wasn't for the blood of Christ. That would be you if it wasn't for the blood of Christ. 
And when you remember that, it causes you to empathize. And you don't look at that sin and say, how can that person continue on with that lust? Or how can that person continue on in that addiction? And instead, it's, Lord, we are suffering as a body. We are suffering as a people because of sin. And you are the one who gives victory. Just like you gave victory to me, you can give victory to us. Amen? We empathize with these people. Jesus is our ultimate example of this kind of empathy. This is what I want my heart to be like before the Lord in Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus saw the crowds that had come around him, it says he had compassion for them. The word compassion, if you break that compound word apart, it means to suffer with people. When he saw the people coming to him from the countrysides, coming for his teaching, he felt pain with them. He hurt for them. He was grieved for them. Why? It says very clearly, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he looks at his disciples. And so he looks at you today. He looks to you today. And he says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What if there hadn't been someone to go out and to work the field when you were ready to be harvested? When you were ready to be brought to the Lord? Would you still be stuck in your sin? In your foul language? In your lustful heart? In your heart that refuses to forgive? In your bitterness? In your anger? Would you still be in that place? Because God raised up a harvester to go out and to work the field and to bring you to where you're at today. And Jesus sees all these people coming that are helpless and harassed by the enemy. And his heart is grieved. And he looks at his disciples and he says, pray that God would raise people up to help deliver people from that kind of life. And he looks to you, church, today and he says, you are that person that I've raised up. You are that person. Have you responded to that? See, Daniel says, we have sinned. And all of this, this is plural. Listen, we've sinned. We've done wrong. We have done wrong. It's us. The word means to bend or to twist the truth. That's what we have done. We've acted wickedly. The word wickedly means to be guilty of a crime. We're all guilty, Daniel says. We've rebelled. The word rebel means to have an uprising, to have a spirit that says, you cannot tell me what to do. Well, that's what our spirit has been like, Daniel says. We've done wrong. We've acted wickedly. We've rebelled. We've turned aside. The word means to step off of God's chosen path. And then do you see there that last thing? What worries me maybe for you who are here today, we've turned aside and we have not listened. We've turned aside from your commandments and your rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings to our princes, to our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. We have not listened to your prophets. We did not heed your word. Listen to the word of God very carefully this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 36. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. And they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. God's trying to get our attention this morning. 
God's trying to get your attention this morning. And he's given the word. And maybe he sent people into your life to confirm that word. Maybe this moment right now is a confirmation for that word. And God is trying to say to you, you need to wake up. There comes a point in time where you can ignore God for so long that as the scripture says here, they ignored God for so long that the sin became so bad and they just mocked and made fun of and ridiculed messenger after messenger after messenger until there came a point in time where there was no cure for their heart. Their heart was so hardened and it was abandoned completely to sin. Be careful. Be careful. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.